What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? Today, Drew and I are leaping into the 11th volume of Jim Butcher's acclaimed Dresden Files. We're starting Turncoat. And before we begin, once again, I'll give a quick reminder for those who don't know already. If you're really into our content and you want to get some extra stuff, including our monthly newsletter or our own writing pieces from me and Drew, or you simply just want the opportunity to add a book to our list for covering, consider checking out our Patreon page at Inking Out Loud. Or if, you know, one-time donations are more like your thing, we also have an account on Coffee. Now, Drew is going to walk us through the events of Turncoat. Take it away, All right. my friend. Turncoat opens in one of the most unexpected ways. The Warden Morgan shows up on Harry's front step injured, accused of treason against the White Council, and seeking Harry's help. Despite his misgivings and dislike of the man, Harry chooses to aid him. With Morgan accused of killing Wizard Lafortier, one of the senior council members, Harry begins his investigation. He's quickly attacked by a skinwalker, a being of horrific power, which kills Kirby and grievously wounds Andy when the Alphas step in to help. As the clues begin to fall, Anastasia Lucio, now Harry's girlfriend, arrives in town. She gets entangled in the mess after she discovers Morgan in Harry's apartment. A mercenary warlock called Binder attacks Harry while trying to collect the bounty on Morgan, and Thomas disappears. Harry moves next to confront Lara Wraith after a run-in with her sister Madeline and realizing that a white court vampire was involved in the framing of Morgan. While at Chateau Wraith, however, the skinwalker attacks and devastates the vampires. It gives Harry an ultimatum. Turn over Morgan, or Thomas dies. With his options dwindling, Harry sails out to the mysterious island in Lake Michigan and performs the Sanctum Invocation, binding the consciousness of the island to himself, naming it Demon Reach, and giving himself access to huge power. That done, he sets up a massive showdown among himself, the White Council, the Skinwalker, and the White Court, hoping to draw out the real traitor. The traitor does show up, but with overwhelming force. In the chaos, Lara kills Madeline, listens to Wind defeats the Skinwalker, and Molly is forced to protect herself from an insane Thomas. Morgan turns himself over to the White Council, intent now on being a martyr. But Harry's not finished. He shows up in Edinburgh with proof that Morgan isn't the traitor. Peabody is. As the duplicitous secretary sets off a Mordite-powered demon among the assembled wizards and flees, Harry and the injured Morgan pursue him. They catch up, and Morgan kills Peabody, but succumbs to his wounds. When the dust settles, a new senior council member is chosen, Gregory Christos, whom Harry suspects is working for the Black Council. Lucio officially ends the relationship with Harry, confirming that her feelings for him were artificially inflamed by Peabody's mind magic. Harry and Ebenezer form a new underground group, the Grey Council, hoping to battle the Black Council. Lastly, Harry meets with Thomas, who tells him that the battle against his inner demon is over. He has chosen to fully rejoin the White Court and become a vampire like his siblings. Yeah, okay. Well, (laughs) I'm just still... I had such a long pause there because I spent so long scrolling to the top of my notes once again. That's how much I have to talk about today. And starting off with style here, of course, as we always do, we have talked before about Butcher's knack for the spooky. That's what I want to start with today. And it was really, really appropriate reading for this week's title because even though we're not releasing this episode for a few weeks yet, Drew and I were recording this, reading this and recording it a couple days after Halloween. So this creature that we're introduced to at the beginning with what we, be, what we came to know as the Negloshi or the Shag Nasty as we came to yeah. know it later, <laughs> the Skinwalker. I've talked openly about my love for the horror genre, um, but you know, I, I, I also about my, my disdain for like the, the gore human thriller element. I like the spooky, the supernatural, and that's what this Skinwalker was. It was everything that I like about horror distilled into one creature. He did... he being butchered, did something with a skinwalker that I only hope to be able to do myself someday. He legitimately terrified me with words on a page. This, this sight of that creature, the way it leaves such a, a horrifying image in the, in the mind's eye, it's like it literally renders even Harry Dresden just helpless because he can't return to thinking about it. It starts to struggle all over again. It's just, it's so creepy. 
I thought it was like, the, oh, this is the final threat. <laughs> this is it. Or, you know, but uh, I thought this was like an outsider or something. It turned out to be something a little more mundane, but I still loved it. I still loved how powerful it was. I loved how it was warping the power of like the ley line. It was, ah, it was just so, so cool. What about the spook factor? The, the scariness, Drew? How'd you find it? Leading up to Halloween, as it were. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was fine. Um, I'm not a big horror fan, honestly. I didn't I didn't find this book too much uh, to fall like under like the scary banner. Um, yeah, it was the, like, uh, the first half of the scariness. I mean, the yeah. I, I I don't know. Like I I guess I just didn't read it that way. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I saw it more as like a. a a mystery for Harry to untangle of like, you know, what is the deal with this thing? How do we beat this? I think that's why it scares me because it's mm. just the unknown. It's the mystery. It's like the, the sheer alien nature of something like this, that trying to figure out what it is and how it can render him helpless just by thinking about it. That's just mm, chef's kiss for the horror element there mm. for me resonated. Nice. Yeah. Um, honestly, what stood out to me the most in this one is the, the sheer amount of character work uh, where, yeah. where the, previous book small favor i thought was kind of the peak of spectacle so far uh in in the dresden files you know this is like this is the book where literally a valkyrie comes flying in on a helicopter with a minigun blaring wagner like you know it's just pure crazy action you know not that there isn't good character work but but it was very over the top in terms of the action and this Mm -hmm. one is kind of the flip. Not that there isn't any action in it, but it's. I found the most impact came from the the quieter character moments, uh, the massive changes that happened with characters in this book, uh, especially Thomas um, and and Lara and Harry. Uh, we we get the um, we get a better look uh, at kind of how the Merlin works. We we get to know Listens to Wind more. We get to know even more about Ebenezer. We get to see how Ebenezer is dealing with all of this stuff. Um, I, I really, really liked just all the character interactions in this book, and I thought that was a, a strong choice on Butcher's part to go from such a spectacle-heavy book in small favor to a much more um, character-powered book. Yeah, makes you wonder if he hasn't, like, you know, planned parts of this series, or at least conceptualized parts of this series that take place over multiple books, and some books will just have to take more time than others to get this beat of the story out of the way, since it'll it'll last longer than a book in some cases. And I'm, we're heading into changes next, and I we keep hearing again and again and again how this next book is really going to flip everything that we're that we're used to. And so I really hope that's a trend that continues. I, w- I, w- I want this next book to really change something up, you know, obviously just, just blow me away. And I, I love these unexpected changes of tone, so... It, it does jive for me. I, I can see it being a little, um, just the, I can see the contrast being a little, uh, shocking, but I love it. It's, it's cool. These are, these are very distinct notes in the series. They're not really all going to be blurring together. I feel in the future. Yeah. yeah. That's important. I think, um, especially for the kind of story that the Dresden files is a lot of the early books are really similar to each other. And as you can see, Butcher kind of hit his stride, moving deeper into the series, getting more confident, weaving more complicated plot lines, um, leaning more into the epic fantasy side rather than the hard-boiled detective side. Yeah. How long has it been since I stopped bitching about the damsel in distress opening? Yeah, right. Definitely, yeah. Um, and, And so as he kind of powers up as a writer you can see him starting to make these conscious narrative choices to um, keep this series from getting stale, to keep it interesting, to keep it changing. Because for the first four or five books, there really wasn't a whole lot that changed. It was just like flavor of the week, monster of the week, whatever. Like Harry solves a mystery and defeats a monster and we move on. And Harry doesn't really change and the people around him don't really change. And uh, it wasn't until we got really into, like, deadbeat and then especially proven guilty that suddenly we got real genuine character development and dynamic 
growth for Harry, for Molly, for Charity, you know, for Thomas. Like, we, we start seeing our principal cast move out of that stale pattern from the early series. And it, it, I think it's a good sign that we're now 11 books in, and there's a pretty solid pattern over the last four or five books of breaking out of that pattern and, yeah. and doing something a little different with each book so it feels fresh, which is not easy to do 11 books into a series. <laughs> no, I've imagined it'd be very easy to fall into a rut mm-hmm. and, you know, just hit those same beats again and again, particularly when you're enjoying the kind of success that I imagine Butcher is enjoying at this point in his publishing career. Uh, yeah, it's it's... Uh, huge, huge props to Butcher for being able to turn things up enough for us to, to continue to give us so much to talk about in style when we're 11 books in. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I did have another style point, um, just kind of a little uh, thing that made me chuckle. Once again, the uh, the Glenn Cook influence creeping through. <laughs> uh, yeah, where, I know what you're going to say. I know exactly. Yeah, where Harry is, is talking with Bill and... And he, you know, he says, as far as the council is concerned, the U.S. wardens are a bunch of mushrooms. He says, eh, yep. kept in the dark and fed on bullshit. That line is straight out of the Black Company. <laughs> okay, so that that's what I wrote down in one of my miscellaneous points. I'm like, is this actually like a, a, a reference to uh, the Black Company? Or is this just a, just a phrase that I just somehow missed until I was 28 years old? Okay, but yeah, this is a direct reference to the Black Company. You answered that for me. Thank you. Yeah, uh, That was in Chapter 7. Other yeah. than the, like, the Council and U.S. Wardens, that exchange is like almost word for word out of She yeah. is the Darkness. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> So that's a, a Mergen line, isn't it? Uh, yes. Or is it Croker? Oh, uh, or is it a Mergen no, memory it's, of Croker? It's a, it's a Mergen line. It's a Mergen line because he's talking yeah. about how Croker is keeping them in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So without going too much into the other series, though, anything else style oriented? Um, no, not for this book. Okay. I'm I I have kind of a a multi book span, so. Uh, we're going to be recording the first half of changes after, uh, basically right after we finish recording this episode. So yep. both of us have read a, a bit ahead of Turncoat. Uh, and there are just going to be a couple of things in, in changes that I want to address that kind of span both of these books. Um, okay. Uh, just around pacing, pretty much. Um, it, an interesting thing that I've noticed uh, with, with these last couple of books. So, uh, hmm. Yeah, what about you? Do you have any other style notes? No, no, I'm ready to talk about our characters. I'm kind of rearing to talk about our characters. All right, let's do it. Okay, starting again with Harry. Yeah. Um, I still got it. I mean, I'll, again, this, his one-liners everywhere. I tried to push myself to my feet, but someone had set the hallway on tumble dry, and I fell down again. These are everywhere. These are amazing. I love just more of them. Just keep sewing those, and I'll keep eating them. I love it. Um, there is a. I do have one small complaint, though, and this is about Harry's mm-hmm. lack of... Uh, I'll, you know, I'll actually just explain what happens here. Um, the uh, revealing like the identity of the real traitor in the council. Uh, hold on, you know what? I need to back up here. I just got lost in between my two points. I read ahead. <laughs> Pardon me here. Um, I said, uh, okay, so Harry Harry's a little dumber than he normally is in this book. I can only chalk it up to Butcher needing Harry to be a little less sharp at times so that he can. He being butcher can save the reveals for the dramatically appropriate moments. The first was the identity of the real the real traitor in the council, um, and I'll get to that at the end of the character points. But another thing was Harry's immediate decision after soul gazing with Evelyn, who he got through Van, uh, Vance, Vince or whatnot. He sees this white court vampire involved, and he decides that this is not the totally obvious Madeline Wraith, but he decides. He decides instead to go confront Lara Wraith for some reason. I was so confused by that. I had assumed that maybe Harry figured out maybe one step further than I did. And that maybe Madeline's clear hand in the events must be ordered by Lara. You know, but Lara's exonerated. And then it's revealed that it's revealed that it's Madeline Wraith. I was like, of course it was Madeline Wraith. How how are you surprised by this? That just confused me a little bit. I feel like Harry let me down. I feel like he, would, he should have caught that right away. How obvious was it that that was Madeline Wraith during the soul gaze with Evelyn? Did you get that at all? Um, I think I agree with you on this one. Uh, like we just had the run in with Madeline, you know, at the, at the court or club rather. And, uh, 
And she's like clearly promising revenge. She's and threatening like, them. Yeah, and and then I mean, I'm not complaining because it gives us more Harry and and Lara scenes, which I love. Well, here's like, the thing. That's my point. <laughs> because I was my next point in brackets here was in case you you brought this up. Thank you. Correct me if I'm wrong because it's been a week or so since I read this, but this is where the Skinwalker attacks again, right? Yes. So Harry turns out to be suspiciously lucky that he happened to be dumb enough not to realize that. Because it made for an epic vampires versus skinwalker scene here. I just feel like Harry normally has the intelligence to find these things out or into, to realize them before he gets himself into too much trouble. But for some reason, Butcher at times needs Harry to be just a little dumber than he normally would be just to give us the excuse of a really cool scene that happens because of it. It's just, nah, I don't know. It's a dumb nitpick. It is a dumb nitpick. Some people might might agree with this. Some are probably going to be like, yeah, but look past it. This is just a... I probably wouldn't have noticed it if I wasn't digging deep for like a discussion that could potentially last two hours, you know? No, yeah. I I think you're you're in unreasonably solid ground with this. Uh, it, I'm bitching it, too much, though. It is the... <laughs> I, can feel, I can hear it. <laughs> it is the sort of mistake that Harry doesn't often make in his investigations. Um but I, after, after I don't, I don't Harry, have as much of a problem with it as it seems you do. <laughs> I think I know what it is. After Harry figuring out so many things that I can't, it's weird for me to be able to figure out something instantly and to watch Harry just completely not even pick up on it. <laughs> what do you, okay. I, I will admit, just, when you said you were gonna, you were gonna have a nitpick, a complaint, I thought you were gonna go go back to the well with the fact that uh, Harry once again does his whole like, "Here's my plan, and I'm not gonna tell you it." Uh, yep. with revealing yeah, the no, traitor and like that was the initial thing that stumped me up because I I got to the first time when I started this point I got to the point where I was revealing the identity of the traitor and I realized no I want yeah. to talk about that when we get to Peabody oh okay. and then <laughs> I realized that I had another sentence in between here saying I'm going to get to that at the end of character so I was going to save that but it, I stumbled over myself there so you were absolutely right though <laughs> when I started that point first I was initially talking about Peabody but I stopped myself thinking I was going to say too much and ruin that discussion for later. And then I'm just, yeah, it's that's 100% on me. You, you picked up on it correctly. <laughs> you did. Yeah. Um, I, I do just use Harry's, Harry's humor here. There, there are moments where at this point he's self-aware self. I can't even speak. He is so self-aware about his circumstances and everything that happens to him. He's, he's driving this bitching ride, this beautiful, beautiful, like SUV, if I remember correctly. And he feels a little safer, oh, and Murphy's uh, like, Rolls "Why?" He's like, "It's the limo." Yes, yeah, it's the Rolls Royce. Yeah, and he's like, limo. "Well, I mean," he's like, "Come on, you really think I'm going to go out in something like this? <laughs> I'm going to when I go out, it will not be in style. You know, this is not the car that I die in." And even Murphy has to laugh about it. She's like, "You know what? You're entirely right." <laughs> uh, see, the funny love- thing was in that scene, I was like, "Well, of course you're not going to die here, Harry. You got cursed to die alone, and Murphy's sitting in yeah. the car with you." <laughs> yep, yep. I'm still waiting for that to drop. I really am. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do still enjoy, I'll say, you know what I say, I savagely enjoy Harry's magical street cred still improving. We see like in the overheard conversation between Binder and Madeline, Binder says, someone like him can do everything I can and more. And the people on the council are nervous of that one. And I stopped to consider it myself. And to me, that kind of made Binder a little more threatening just by the fact that he's aware enough to know how outmatched he is i'm keeping an eye on him i feel like he's going to be a clever player down the road Dude, I, hope um, so. I like him as a as a as a play on harry against harry's own strength to give us more context and, and dimension for harry as well uh just he's he's another source that we haven't got yet to to you know to pit harry against and contrast so i like that i do like that yeah i liked binder he was a he was a fun antagonist like he yeah. started off kind of caricature-y, you know, a little a little mustache twirling villainy sure. in the you know in the storage unit uh, fight scene. But by the end of the book, you know, we get to know him a little more. We get to to understand that he's actually a pretty clever guy. He's good at figuring things out the way Harry figures yeah. things out, and uh, and then he has this this kind of understanding conversation with Harry in the middle of the battle on the island, and and they're like almost chummy about it. And he's yeah. like, yeah, thanks, bro. I'm never going to see you again. Like, <laughs> which, you know, like, like you just said, I, I don't buy yeah. that. We're never going to see Binder yeah. again. I, I hope we don't because he's, he's a good character. Yeah, no. Uh, and, and as a point of fact, just for those who, who have heard of the, uh, the audiobook, uh, James Marster's delivery of Binder, so on point. I want to say he gives him a Cockney accent, 
to uh yeah. as, as opposed to like the the oxford accent that he gives to to bob i am not from either of those regions so i definitely cannot say for <laughs> fact i just suspect these things but oh it's just his binder is, a, is like a one of those characters that sounds like someone else is in the room with him it's just so good i love binder is just so much fun to listen to i imagine actually he's probably more fun to listen to than he is to read probably be interested yeah. to compare and contrast but uh my last point on harry i noticed that near the end uh Harry laments a lot of what life has forced upon him, and he claims he would rather, Drew, I'm sure you picked up on this, he would rather a cold beer and a good book. Well, Harry Dresden, Blackstone Copperfield Dresden, I'd like to raise this one to you. Welcome to the Inking Out Loud podcast, my good, uh, my good guy. Yeah, yeah. Very appropriate. <laughs> uh, I feel like Dresden making a fantastic guest. Yeah. He's probably a well-read dude. Anyway, I'm done with Harry Dresden. For now. Uh, I am as well. Uh, okay. Let's... Morgan? Yeah, let's talk about Morgan. Yeah, let's talk about Morgan. I, I, I want to hear this from you, especially, because you've been, I know you've you been just okay. hating on this dude all series. Uh, uh, okay, <laughs> so Morgan did the unthinkable. He made me sorrow for his death. I think that's grammatically correct. Like, wow, I... I was really hoping for more of a Harry and Morgan buddy cop scene here and there as soon as we got this at the very beginning with Morgan coming straight to center stage. Um, but I do have an appreciation for Morgan's character now that I, I clearly didn't or couldn't have had before. Um, and I think it's obvious that Butcher was just doing that intentionally. It, it worked. It really worked. I was left a little confused just by the the, the whole wrapping up of, of these motivations here. It, it's typical of the end of Dresden books, and this may have been better suited for, a, suited for a style discussion, but whatever. At the end of every Dresden book so far, we have to have this conversation with one or more characters where all of the secrets are revealed. And just as I've said before, a lot of these explanations seem very assumptive or hand-wavy or just sometimes just convenient, a little too convenient. It seems clear to me, well, you can argue if, if you wish, this is, I'm, this is just my opinion. Butcher, it doesn't seem like he always has everything figured out when he like before getting to that that conversation at least the end of book after the chaos wrapping up the remaining questions through a private conversation or some intimate dialogue thing. Lucio being behind the murder, I was like, okay, yeah, all right, I can, I guess I'll buy, yeah, okay, I can see that. But then it just it begs so many questions to which some answers have just require big leaps of faith or just making very convenient assumptions morgan is standing over lucio's body or lucio uh, lucio is standing over uh broski's name that got killed i can't Lafortier. remember his name lafortier thank you standing over his body with a knife that's i mean that's bad enough considering he'd probably i imagine morgan would be clever enough to find a way to be more subtle about murdering somebody like that having millions of dollars appear in an obvious account just seems kind of ridiculously red flag material the fact that the council who we are supposed to respect and kind of like fear ourselves because their experience and the knowledge and their power they just all buy it hook line and sinker and they immediately start gunning for their most devo like devoted member it just it's kind of a stretch for me to believe either they're really old and they're wise and we have reason to fear their judgment on harry or they're a bunch of old fools that are so stubbornly set in their ways they miss some of the most obvious signs of a framing that i've ever seen or read it just seems like on <laughs> one hand butcher wants us to fear the white council and the senior council but on the other hand, he's totally willing to make them into a bunch of complete morons. And so I feel like he's using his treatment of Morgan as a character. It's it's highly indicative of that. Huh. Yeah, I, I don't I I didn't have an issue with it at all. Uh, and I think maybe this is connected to the fact that uh, John and I just did a couple of Star Wars episodes. And uh, one of them is. Uh, the book called The Kratos Trap, and a major plot line in that is extremely similar to what's going on with Morgan in this book, where there's a really a main character, a heroic character who is framed for the murder of another major character. And like one of the big pieces of evidence is that like a whole bunch of money was discovered in a bunch of, of his accounts. And it's like, this is an obvious frame, but everybody's like, no, no, this is evidence to use against him. And even though in the context of the world, uh, or in the context of the type of agent he is accused of being, it makes no sense for there to be money being given to him. Like, yeah. And uh, 
And yeah, so I was kind of chuckling to myself all throughout this book, uh, seeing the parallels between Morgan and Tycho Selchu and the Kratos trap. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like, I mean, I like that Morgan was a character now. And I just, I feel, I cannot believe I am about to say this. I feel like he got shafted. He really did. It Like, well, he took sure. the fall for Lucio's actions by not telling anybody, you know, he's gonna, he's protecting her. He's going to Harry, of all people, for help. And he's not still not telling Harry everything because he still wants to protect her, uh, Anna. So I'm just like, it all ends up being so convoluted for me. I get that it kind of works, but you have to just buy a lot of things immediately at face value and not really consider the individual quirks or the personal mm. personalities or the societies involved. I just feel like the wizards not picking up on how easily that is a frame oh. really makes me not take them seriously going forward. I, mean, I just hate that he had enough. to be a martyr. Like, he just had to. He's yeah, like, well, yeah, I'm yeah. still going to give myself up. And I'm just like... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and even after Peabody is, is, is exposed... Morgan's like, well, I still gotta die, and everyone's like, yeah, he should still pretty much die. Well, I'm they just, didn't I'm, execute I'm, him. He he died of his wounds before anybody but, got to them. Okay, that's a good point. I actually forgot that part. Yeah, but wasn't he still going to be well, in a I, lot of trouble and potentially I, executed? I don't know. I mean, we we never really know. find yeah. out. Okay, that they, is an assumption. The they have to make some posthumous decisions about Morgan, where they're like, okay, we. We got Peabody, but he was killed, so we we don't know anymore. And it does seem like there's at least one more traitor hanging around. Uh, so we need to act like you know the the right thing is oh, that yeah. that like Morgan was an accomplice of Peabody, and they were both killed, and and that way we can lull the existing traitor or traitors into a false sense of security. Yeah. I'm just really surprised that Butcher made me got brought me to a point where I was upset for Morgan and not at him. Sure, I, could, I can't yeah. believe it. It that's amazing to me. <laughs> yeah. After how, after how I felt, uh, go back to the end of episode seven. Anybody listening to this and listen to me just verbally flaying this guy. Oh my god, I was so bothered by it. <laughs> the, yeah. the fact that here I am, uh, four books later, and I'm just like. Defending him. It's just amazing to me. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good character work. It is. Uh, let's talk about Murphy a little bit. Murphy? I actually didn't write down anything about Murphy. Really? I'm surprised. How did I, How did I not write down anything about Murphy? Uh, there was a pretty, pretty major scene with, with Murphy and Harry here where they kiss and tell each other they, they love each other. Before uh, going to battle. I, yeah, that felt more of like a in case the worst happens and we hadn't done that yet. I don't know, actually. Yeah, I, I do remember what you're talking about. I just... And I actually have a... I, have I, no I was going to have this in a, in a miscellaneous point, but um, a, a bit of perhaps world-building inconsistency here. Like, right before that battle, we have a genuine moment of love between Murphy and Harry, and then Madeline attacks Harry and doesn't get burned by Harry, even though he just, like, shared love with Murphy. Well, yeah. Well, I wasn't... The reason I'm not, like, jumping for joy over this as much as you would expect, maybe, is just because I am so pissed off at Butcher for doing this to us in that elevator scene and proving guilty <laughs> that even when little hints like that show up now, I just don't take it seriously. I'm like, yeah, okay, Butcher, whatever. You know, <laughs> sure, I'll have to wait another five books to see that f***ing mature <laughs> develop. Uh... Right. And then, oh, with oh, oh, wait, hang on. I almost, I almost spoiled something from the next book. Mm -hmm. I, I, <laughs> we'll have to censor half of a word there, and I will write it down right here, the timestamp. No, I got 29 it. 29 minutes in, 30 seconds, got it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But let's see, do you have any other character notes? Uh, I oh, think yeah. I just have, um. Oh, yeah, do I? Oh, oh, Peabody and the Gatekeeper. I have to okay. own up to this one. I, I got it wrong. I thought the gatekeeper was going to be the traitor, and he's clearly not. Um, <laughs> and and I, I had a bad feeling. Like, as soon as we met Peabody in this book, I was like, yep. oh, yeah. Yep. Like, yep. <laughs> you found one of my only remaining character points, and I was trying to save this because I realized I've been on a bitching spree, as I normally am. <laughs> but P, oh, Peabody was my biggest single problem with this book and don't get me wrong this book was fantastic i would still give it a 4.5 out of 5 
Ooh. But these are exactly the kinds of things that would stop it from being a five out of five in my eyes. Not that it needs to be, Butcher, you do you, man. But personally, you do, <laughs> you're, you're right. Peabody was so obviously the trip. From the first moment we yeah. met him, the entire plot line of whodunit was lost for me. But yeah. We meet him for the first time, and I wrote this down as we were meeting him. <laughs> He's described in chapter 14. Yeah, um, paper pushing twit. I forget who it is that, that describes him that way. My brain heard those words. I wasn't even really paying attention to the scene, but I heard paper pushing twit and my brain triggered on those words and it went, whoa, that's remarkably harsh for somebody we just met. Why are we trying to make him that dismissible this quickly? And then Ebenezer goes on and says that what Peabody does is, and I quote, invaluable. Yeah, what he does isn't dramatic, but his organizational skills have been critical. I'm like, ah, yep. they are, are they? He's implicated as being one of the only few in that group of people who knew that Morgan, uh, like this info that Morgan supposedly leaked. I was walking away from Peabody in chapter 14. I was already writing down, not just I know who the traitor is, but I was already complaining about how obvious it was <laughs> that the traitor is Peabody. Yeah. And we spent the rest of the book waiting to find it out. I'm pulling my freaking hair out of my head when Harry revealed <laughs> that he's been taking pictures of the alleyway. And you just get Molly going, Edinburgh. huh, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> Molly goes, huh, who's he? And I'm like, oh, oh finally, we're going to get Peabody and I can stop trying to pretend that I don't know about him yet. Yeah. And then we just cut away again. And we're back in Edinburgh for Morgan's trial. I'm going, oh, my God, we are actually going to play this out like a reveal. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. It bothered me. Um, it did bother me. I, I gotta say, I was grateful that the gatekeeper, that I was wrong about the gatekeeper, because I like Rashid. He's he's cool. Like I feel like he still could be bad news down the road. The gatekeeper is just so such I a think eerie he title. might be bad news, but like I don't think he's actively working for evil. I think he's just got that like enigmatic, does his own thing deal sure. going on, where it's like... He's not an inherently bad person, but his goals may not be our goals kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, like kind of a Hoyd character. Like a, you know. oh, interesting. I was thinking like a little finger or something with power. But uh, yeah, I mean, little finger is a little boring. No, no, you're right. That, 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 there's too much politics on little finger side. A <laughs> little, little more evil there. Parallel. A little yep. more blatantly, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, self-serving there. Um but uh, I have a, so much. I have a lot about mouse, <laughs> believe it or not. Okay. Um, okay. So I love mouse in this book. Um, there's this moment where, and I, I have the quote here. Mouse looked at me with his head tilted as I shut the door. Something bad is running around out there. I told him it might decide to send me a message. I'd rather he didn't use Mr. to do it. This is after he just lets Mr. out. Yes. First contact with a skinwalker. Mouse's cavernous chest rumbled with a low growl. Uh, or you either, for that matter, I told him. I don't know if you know what a skinwalker is, but it's serious trouble. Watch yourself. Mouse considered that for a moment, then yawned. I found myself laughing. Pride goes before fall, boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, uh, I mean, I'm growing, I'm sure I'm growing to love Mouse every bit as much as other readers do, you know. But we're paying attention to him, aren't we? We are. We've been talking about how unnaturally, un- unnaturally gifted this dog is, you know, it's, it's front and center now like there's this moment where uh a mouse really actually spooked me in a previous book i didn't mention it at the time but he actually kind of creeped me out uh i forget the precise circumstances i want to say it was in deadbeat there's a moment where harry and company need um an alarm or, or a building cleared or something like that and mouse just swings his head and looks directly at harry when he says that and then of course he does his impression of a foghorn uh, and clears white the knight. building out white knight was that white knight yeah really it was just one or two books ago interesting okay it feels like more long. Yeah, that's when they're that, but... um, they're in the like Coven's apartment, and uh, everybody's right. like put asleep in, and they're trying to burn the whole thing right. down. That's and, right. There's yeah. a sleep spell on there. That's right. And they need yeah. to wake everybody up. Just the fact that there's something about the wording there. I'm thinking it was he swung his head, or maybe it was something close. That there's something about the phrasing that just spooks me out. That uncanny valley. I get goosebumps in that moment, like when you see a a Photoshop picture of a goat with two eyeballs in the front of its head instead of on the sides, you know, there's something unnatural about the way that Mouse just, like, mm. looked directly at him. I went, <laughs> But, I, I mean, I, I love Mouse. I, I mean this to say I love and I trust. I'm glad that Mouse is on everybody's side. It's a nice feeling. Good boy. <laughs> Good boy. Yeah, I, I have things to say about Mouse, but I'm saving them for uh, favorite scenes. It feels like my friends are safer when I know that they're taking Mouse along, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a weird feeling, but I love it. 
I mean, he's a, he's a super powered <gasps> guardian dog. So I forgot one thing about Mouse that pissed me off, though. Okay, oh? <laughs> surprise, surprise. Rob's got a complaint. Everybody, <laughs> um, I think it's in chapter thirty four, thirty five, because one of these happens to coincide near one of my favorites. Anyway, uh, Mouse is shot. He's bleeding. Mm-hmm. Shot. You know what? No, no, we're gonna censor that because I just realized something you said a minute ago. Go ahead, censor that one, future Drew. Oh, okay. I, I'm pretty sure you, because you had said that you were going to talk about Mouse in one of your favorite scenes. I think I was just about to just blow that scene. Oh, no. I'll let you do it. Don't worry about it. Um, nah. I'll, but yeah, so. I'll, I'll, so I'll complain about it when you get there. Uh, do you have any <laughs> other things about Mouse, or shall we move to a different character? What do you think his first words are going to be? Because obviously this dog is going to start talking eventually. You think Mouse is going to talk? Oh, he's going to Caesar from Planet of the Apes. There's one moment where everything's going to hell and he's going to be like, no, and it just freaks everybody out. And they all stop like, did, did, did that just, uh, it's got, it's going to happen. It has to happen, right? Do you not see that coming? No, I admit I do not see that coming. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to make that a prediction then. Uh, okay. Um, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Molly. Anything about Molly? Uh, not much other than that I continue to really like her as a character. Uh, yep. I, yep. I'm i glad that all of her problems weren't just solved. You know, she yep. is still the same person. She's still struggling to be a, a good person and not succumb to the temptations of her magic. I mean... Uh, and, and I like that Butcher complicates it because as we see, you know her using this mind magic cracks the case, you know, like it, it gives Harry the information he needs, but it's also morally wrong that she's doing this. And that, and not only is it morally wrong, but it's sending her another step down a dark road from which she possibly cannot return, you know? So there it's, it's a good way for, for butcher to balance, um, power with consequences uh we we've already seen harry's proclivities for power and the consequences he suffers from them but we we know molly has a different set of talents and we need to see that there are different consequences for using those talents yeah and i'm a little yeah i was concerned when when morgan witnessed what he's what he witnessed you know and i was like oh god and, and even the way harry told molly he was like what have you done like I, I thought right there this net these next few books what this what these are going to be since changes is supposed to be such a big shifting narrative I thought it was going to be Harry and Molly on the run from the White Council and from the Senior Council and like mm. just being the two most wanted people alive that's what I was expecting out of changes because of what Molly did here and because of the fact that you know she technically broke the law again mm-hmm. yeah. So. Um, but the only thing I had about Molly is just the one tiny little red flag. And I don't, I'm surprised, uh, Dresden didn't at least chase this rabbit down the hole, see where it went in chapter 12. She tried to kill Morgan, of course, because there's a misunderstanding. She's holding, um, a chandelier or something, a blunt object. She wanted to bash his skull in. She says she's never felt such hate before. And that doesn't seem to alert Harry that something's wrong there. It's a small red flag for me. Why that level of hate? We can assume she would hate Morgan. The entire reason she brings it up here, though, is that it seems like it's a level of hatred that was somewhat still undue for the situation. I don't know if that's the case. I'm probably just reading far too much into it, but I'm keeping an eye on that. She felt extreme hatred the first time she tried to kill him. Yeah, I I don't I don't have any future knowledge on this one, so (laughs) I can't uh, I can't really speak to it. But just keeping an eye on it, Uh, Thomas feel bad for thomas um oh my gosh actually, i think he i think he got the worst deal of the book because morgan at least got to die a hero a hero uh not to say thomas died obviously but the torture he goes through from the skinwalker it's that's the kind of torture that you yeah. rarely read about you know um Man, there are a few, like with the skinwalker just like dragging him up the hill on the island yeah. and you're just like oh my goodness yeah I mean, there are few characters that ever get that kind of treatment in any series. Like, the Heralds in the Stormlight Archive come to mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some characters in the Acts of Cain. Um, whatever the hell... Oh, yeah, whatever the hell cycle. is happening... Whatever the hell is happening to Lloyd Slate at this moment, wherever he may be, the Winter Knight. Well, 
Yeah, I was going to say consider. The, the gap cycle. Oh, gap cycle. Yeah, that's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forget already. Um, I wasn't like... a huge fan of Thomas in the beginning of the series, but he is growing on me. Or he was growing on me. Now he's gone all dark again. It's worrisome. I, I think Thomas I approve... is a fantastic character. I liked like, him I like... from the start. Yeah. But I, that's his right, journey has been him. fascinating. I mean, it's not a, a, exactly original for a vampire, for their chief concern, their conflict to be about their their, their nature, their instincts. Controlling but their urges. Controlling them. But I like, I still like, I think it's still a fertile ground upon which to sow a lot of character quirks. You know, I'm interested in seeing how he's going to conquer it, not if he will, right? Um, I don't really like, though, how Butcher explained it from Thomas's point of view at the end, where he's got that, that wrapping up scene with Harry, and he goes, what do you see? He's, what do you, you see of them? Like he's that? pointing out people. The mother with the stroller. And I'm I'm reading that. I'm going, oh, my God. We are going to go through with this analogy. Really? And he starts pointing them out. Food. Food. I see food. And there's more food. And more food there. I'm just like, wow, Thomas, thank you. I am glad we have you around to explain such a radical new concept as always being hungry and seeing food everywhere. Now I understand how this is different. And there's no coming back this time. Thank you. Sorry, there's just... He said nothing in this scene that didn't wasn't equally valid before he wanted to change, or even after he had changed. Oh, I disagree. I completely disagree. No, because no, okay, we sorry. had that scene with him in his salon, where he's talking about these, this healthier way to, to feed, and that he's building connections and getting to know these people as people right. and forming relationships with them. Oh, he's yeah. not seeing them as food. He's seeing them as human beings and his friends. Right. Yeah, I'm just. My problem is that he doesn't seem to understand that Harry could guess this already if he's already succumbed to his instincts and he's no longer fighting or the, his well, instincts. Like, clearly, Harry demon. Guess it because Harry's shocked by it. That's my point. Why is Harry like? Why he's presenting this to Harry to shock Harry? And I guess you're right. Harry is kind of shocked about this. He's like, Thomas, you can't be saying this. But I'm sitting there like, why is this a surprise to you? This is exactly what he would be feeling. That's the whole point of a vampire. Because Harry wants to see the best in his brother. Yeah, I yeah, I, I suppose He's I should make it more clear. My, pro- like, my problem I, is just that I I want to get behind the guy looking into the mirror, not the demon behind the mirror. Right. This is just presented as yeah. like a radical concept. That's food to me, and that's food to me, and that's food to me. I'm like, yeah, it would be if you're really not going to con- if you're not able to control yourself at all. I don't think it would, it's yeah. supposed to be radical. I think it's supposed to be an emotional gut punch to Harry. Mm. It definitely was because it's, 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 it's telling effective. Harry you've failed. It's effective. Yeah. And, oh, it's going to hurt Harry so badly. And I I do appreciate that Harry has a connection like that with Thomas by now, that this can be such an issue for him. This, yeah. That says so much about both characters. I just, I had trouble just like, I was in that moment going, oh, but this is such a basic, plain analogy to use for a, <laughs> such a heart-ripping moment that I was kind of lost in the mundanity of it. But uh, just, that's just another stupid, just, nah. Yeah. That's just me. Um, I'm done with characters, though. <laughs> uh, I'm ready to go into miscellaneous. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm done with characters too. Uh, no. Oh, I have one note. Um, very short note. I, I love to see the alphas continuing to grow. Oh, I love. Yeah. I was so scared for them at the beginning when the Skinwalker attacked. I like. Ah, the hunt that started, the lights that went out. I was scared for Billy. I was scared for Georgia. And I felt bad that I didn't know the rest of the names offhand because they have been there for Harry so many times. I love those characters myself. Yeah. It, yeah. It's uh, another good little bit of character work going from these, you know, naive college students to adults, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, I loved this. Okay, so <laughs> the scene where the vampires... Actually, you know what? I'll just quote it here. Without any visible signal, they all started prowling forward at the same time, and it was a prowl. The atavistic feline motion that carried what were very clearly predators forward in total silence. Lara paused when she reached me, glanced over my injuries with cold, silver eyes, and whispered, Stay down. I love these vampires on our fi- on our side fights. I, I love them. <laughs> when uh, Marconi had a, a line a lot like that in, I want to say it was uh, Winter Night, uh, he said much of that same thing when he sees Thomas and Lara just doing their thing, battling back to back. I appreciated that. Gentleman Marconi can appreciate that too. I thought Marconi is a, definitely a man of taste. He would have <laughs> he would have appreciated this scene too. And on that note, I bet Marconi is a, he drinks scotch. You just know he drinks scotch, doesn't he? 
Probably. If he drinks <laughs> I bet he all. drinks a great scotch. He can always trust a man who drinks a good scotch. <laughs> I don't know if but, he can yeah. trust Marconi, though. <laughs> That's, I think we can. I think he's going to surprise us. He might not even surprise us. A lot of people are probably on his, uh, are probably bad form at this point. I like Gentleman Marconi. Even though it's, it's still weird to, it's, it's hard to picture him still murdering somebody or condoning murder of any kind. Like, like, assassinating rivals, breaking legs. It's hard to see him doing that now at this point. But my, sorry, my, my, I got off track there. My whole point here was this vampires, these four vampires on our fight that was with Lara Wraith, her, I think they were her cousins. That was cool. So cool. Uh, sisters, right? Sisters? Were they sisters? I believe they're sisters. So maybe Thomas's half-sisters? Yeah, yeah. Or so? Something? Mm-hmm. Okay. I will assume. Yeah, that was a cool scene. Um, I mean, I got a few more miscellaneous, but I'll let you, you know, throw one at me. Um, I don't have too many miscellaneous points. I ended up kind of bringing them all up in, in character and style. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> Santa is real. Huh? Did I what? Uh, Did I miss that? I laughed so hard um, when at the end of the book, Harry's meeting with Ebenezer, and Ebenezer tells him that they filled the the seat on the senior council, and the first thing Harry says is Klaus the toy maker. Oh my god! How did I miss? <laughs> because that? he's the oldest uh, non senior council member at the time. How did I miss that, Drew? Oh yeah. no! I got. Oh no! I got a. I got a crack out of that one. I am so <laughs> disappointed in myself right now. Yep. I suppose it, I might have caught it if it was like on paper, but I don't want to make excuses for myself. That's on me. I was listening <laughs> to the audiobook, obviously, but I still should have got that. I should have got that. What the hell? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for making sure I got that. That would. That one went right over my head. Um. See here. Oh, I love this little scene with Harry following the trail from Vince, who, by the way, Vince, awesome character. We didn't really talk about him. Yeah, yeah, I like Vince. Awesome. And how he followed the trail back to Evelyn, who had hired him. And he's just waiting behind her in the office there. She doesn't know it's Harry dressed, and she thinks it's Vince. And she ignores him for a minute. She asks him a question, even, without looking back. And then she just gets frustrated, turns around, and he's like, Hi, Cuddles. You know, the audiobook delivery again by James Barsters on that one. Brilliant. Nice. It was brilliant. Um, and my last point, um, that's actually a prediction. Mm. Chapter 39, the gatekeeper shook his head. Do not tap into the place of this, sorry, do not, do not tap into the power of this place as well. You are years away from being able to handle such a thing without being altered by it. I would also like to just point out that the next book is called Changes. So when I stopped there, I wrote, oh my God, is this going to be like something Harry does? Is this going to be like, uh, the... Is it Harry's land in the future? Is he, is he going to be connected to this area in some way? Is, there, is this ley line going to be very, very important for Harry in the future? There's a reason this island is so familiar to him. And I was just, oh, I thought this is going to be a really big uh, thing for the future. Yeah, Harry's so. like weird deja vu thing with the island, I, I still think needs an explanation. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because of the Sanctum Invocation that he's getting these like flashback deja vu things, but I like it transcends time in a bit. He was, able yeah, to but, get, but I didn't, yeah, if that's maybe. the case, it wasn't explained in such a way in, in this book at least. So mm. I'm definitely still waiting for more of an explanation on demon reach. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I, here's a note that I totally forgot. I had Uh toot toot. I was scared for toot toot. When he was fighting oh, yeah. skinwalker. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, when he was when he got smacked and he just got hit he, right into the wall like that, I was oh no, Toot Toot just got dobbied. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he's dobbed. okay. He's okay. Yeah, I use dobbied as a verb. Yeah, Shoot. <laughs> but no, he's okay, and I'm good for that. Thank, thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe. Let me check. I believe I'm ready to go into favorite scenes. How about you? Uh, I am as well. Okay, actually, <laughs> I have not one but two honorable honorable mentions. Okay, I apologize for that. First, I looked for Morgan and his juice box to Molly and her shotgun. You two play nice. Really love it. If 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 Harry had handed out beers to everybody and a juice box to Morgan, even better if he had managed to use magic to put beer in the juice box. And honestly, like this entire recurring joke, that's my honorable mention here. This recurring joke of Harry returning home and finding chaos with those three yes. plus mouse every time. It's like 
For now, I'll, I'll focus on that image of Morgan, though. Consummate warrior, most distinguished of the wardens of the White Council, besides maybe Lucio, lying there with a juice box in his hand and a pout on his face. It's just, it's just comedy gold. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah. Also, Mer the Merlin, being a badass. That's my next audible mention. Yeah. That whole yeah. organization of battle. So competent, so casual. I love that we waited this long. So we had just enough time to write him off as just like this useless fluff. And then... I've contained the mist here for the time being, and Rashid, prevent it from vaporizing me, if you please. In between giving out orders, just... <laughs> ah, yeah. I love this guy. So, okay. Um, third favorite. I apologize for going on such a rant here. Harry arriving at the Wolf Pack's place, Chapter 5, taking refuge there. Which itself, that's terrifying enough. Like mm -hmm. I just said before, I was scared for them. And the lights all go out, and that horrible cry of the hunt starting. That, that horror element that I waxed Rhapsodic about in the style... I love that. It's, Butcher is a master of the terrifying approach, and I love it. So that's my third favorite. Take it away. Any honorable mentions? I'd love to give you the chance since I just... Uh, no, I do not have any honorable ape. mentions. Okay. Um, my third favorite is the very end of the book, um, Harry introducing Butters to the Alphas and, and kind of making peace Uh working to heal the the shattered friendship, the shattered trust, and and to, you know, help them recover from Kirby's death. I we don't get these moments very often between Harry and the Alphas. Uh and as I understand it, there are some short stories out there um that involve Harry and the Alphas. I think there's Ooh. one about uh the wedding between really? uh Billy and Georgia. Um uh, and I, I kind of, like, at some point am interested in going and reading those to see if there's more of this kind of thing in it. Because it's these moments when Harry, like, just becomes a human. Uh, rather than being a mentor or a father figure or a wizard or a, a warrior or whatever. He's just a human trying to be friends, you know? Yeah. Just a straight person-to-person -person connection, you know? Like <clears throat> like I said, the amount of fear I felt, not and it wasn't nameless fear, even though there was a lot of that, but specifically it was the fear I felt for these characters that made it go from, you know, uh, kind of creepy to terrifying. So it's it's really effective, yeah. Yeah. All right, dude. Uh, your second favorite? Engine Joe versus a Skinwalker. Okay. I love that. And I love how increasingly badass our monsters and villains are. Um, and then we still have members of the Senior Council stepping up and out badassing the badasses. Listens to Wind being the one to confront the Skinwalker. I love I love that choice. I don't remember if uh, he's distinctly Navajo himself. And I think this is a Navajo monster. But it still fits. The shape-shifting battle itself, the elements, it just, it, it wasn't... As cool as, even though it was cool, but it wasn't as cool as Butcher's decision to use Engine Joe to really take on this beast. The sheer virtue of how cool that choice was, the imagery of Engine Joe rubbing the mud on his hand, listens to wind. I think he was referred to as listens to wind in that sentence, which is which is a very important point. And he just smells his hands and the beauty of like the earth on him. And I was just like, in the middle of this thing that's about to go down, I, I can't explain how cool that was to hear. So yeah. that's definitely a solid number two for me. Uh, I, I just want to double check on something. Okay. How do you spell his name? Thank you. Okay. Is it not engine? Is it like engine or something? It's engine. Like I-N-J-U-N. Like it's, Thank it's the, you. the oh slang, my God. Um, like slang sort of insulting like term for an Indian. Yeah. Like engine. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I had a... Uh, wow, if I'd actually even known that that was a word, I probably would have been able to contextually put that together. No, I've been listening to the audio since book eight again. No, book seven again. So, uh, yeah, to me, it just constantly sounds like engine. And I was slightly yeah. doubtful. I was. Okay, engine Joe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Listens to wind. I much prefer saying that name because that's just so much cooler. Yeah. But, yeah, that was a really badass scene. It was awesome. It was. Yeah. So, your second favorite. Uh, so my second favorite is a collection of scenes, and it's one you've already talked about a little bit, and that is the recurring motif of Harry walking in on uh, Mouse, <laughs> Damn, Molly, and Morgan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think 
I think my favorite moment in all of it. Uh, let's see. This is in chapter twenty-three when Lucio is involved, and you know Molly had like blinded. You know she'd done like the the flashbang spell kind of thing and on on Lucio and and then uh, and. Lucio and Molly are going back and forth and and uh she's like Molly goes besides who was the one on the ground getting pounded yes you're 40 pounds heavier than me Anastasia said calmly bitch I know you didn't just say that and then mm-hmm. Mouse sighed and heaved himself back to his feet <laughs> like just that moment of Mouse just being like <sighs> so put upon like this gotta, poor guy gotta do this again like <laughs> yeah Okay, I'm so okay. So I actually didn't take what I thought. Yeah, okay. So I, when we were talking about Mouse earlier, I actually backed off on a point because I didn't want to steal what I thought might potentially be one of your favorite scenes, yeah. but it didn't turn out to be. So I'm just going to really quickly jump on that one there. Chapter 34, or 35, when Mouse is shot, yes. he's bleeding mm-hmm. and he's trembling, and we're having to explain to him that it's going to hurt more, but they're trying to help him, and just the way he trusts them so completely by putting his head down on their hands. I was the meme of the cartoon with those giant eyes crying like, oh, <laughs> then of course, after it's over, Mouse is totally fine. And we find out he was just acting. Yeah. To Are make you kidding Molly me? Feel bad. That was the most heartwarming thing I have read in months. And Butcher <laughs> just takes all of that moment and he wipes his ass with it. <clears throat> Why? That, I, that was for me. I had that. That was so perfect <laughs> and precious. Why would you do that? <laughs> oh, man. I was going to bring that up. And then you had said, and I read, remembered in that moment, you were like, oh yeah, Mouse is in one of my favorite scenes. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go off on that rant if uh, if it's going to be one of his favorite scenes. But since you didn't bring it up in your favorite scenes, you brought Mouse in a different context. I just needed to get that rant out of the way. Thank you. Okay. And I apologize for how much I'm ranting today, everybody. So what was your favorite scene? Lara and Madeline Wraith at the end. And it's morbid. It's, it's so morbid. Obviously, it's morbid. And I won't pretend that it didn't gross me the hell out. But there's something about the disturbing intimacy of that scene with Lara telling Madeline, I've always wanted to do this with you ever since we were little girls. It was terrible. Remembering her earlier remark, that's what really solidified this. That earlier remark that we thought was just like a throwaway line, pulling their guts out whenever she finds out who this is. And then that's that, that context from earlier is what took this from disturbing, beautifully disturbing, disturbing to artistic masterwork for me i feel like i really appreciate that butcher finally gave harry that cold dunking that he needed where lara wraith is concerned i'm so sick and tired of harry's instant hard-on and constant waxing about how unnaturally beautiful this woman is every time we see her we get a half a page about her beauty i'm just i'm over it so we needed this harry needed this it's so creepy. It's so disturbing. But on the sheer dark factor and just the imagery that dis- as disgusting as it is, that entire scene around it, if you observe all the pieces, it's still a work of art. This is a painting that Satan would have above his fireplace. And so I had to at least mention it. And I, I ended up talking myself into putting it at number one, despite how dark and disturbing it, it honestly is when you, when you get right. right down to it. All right. So, yeah. Well, my favorite scene actually is one that you've already gone on a rant about, and that was ah, damn it. Thomas and Harry's conversation at the zoo. I keep ranting about things that um, I just do. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I everybody. thought this scene was just an emotional gut punch. It was excellently constructed in starting off with Thomas seeming so placid and, and well put together, and then this growing horror of realization of what Thomas has become. And his his rebuffing of Harry's overtures and the growing hostility between them. Uh, all of that groundwork that's been laid over the last seven books. You know, this relationship built between the two of them, this brotherhood, being shattered in this one scene was such an emotional gut punch. And I was like, this is what I'm talking about for ending a book. Like this is how you do a bittersweet ending. Okay. See, for me, that shattering happened when Thomas was being dragged up the hill by the skinwalker. That's when that shattering happened for me. I mean, the point is like, it's, this is the scene where Harry and Thomas's relationship is broken. 
Like I can okay, I Harry's can see that, still that, trying to save yeah. Thomas in it during the battle and everything, and then it's here that Harry realizes he can't save Thomas. Okay, if Thomas okay, is makes, ever gonna come yeah. back to him as a brother, Thomas has to save himself. Okay, that this makes a lot scene, more sense now. This why scene it, means that Harry gotcha. has failed, and ah. and and it's heartbreaking because of that. Okay. I, I love it. I see why you argue. Why you argue? Are you, uh, I can't speak. Wow, argued for it so passionately earlier. Um, yeah. Okay. I hadn't looked at it that way. Um, I will probably in future rereads. I'm ready to go into the final draft. Unless there's anything else wrapping up about Turncoat that you want to say. I do. Okay. Uh, Let's hear it. This is, I believe, my favorite book in the series so far. Ooh, it's close for me. Uh, okay. I believe this narrowly edges out proven guilty in small favor. Uh, wow. Yeah. This is... Yeah, so this Deadbeat's is, not even on there for you? Uh, Deadbeat's probably... Uh, actually, uh, in, in our Discord earlier today, um, or yesterday, today, yesterday, something like that, uh, we were talking about ranking... Dresden Files book. I saw that very briefly. Uh, so I, I had, I had Deadbeat yeah. as my fifth favorite. I have Turncoat, Proven Guilty, Small Favor, White Knight, Deadbeat. You know, I actually, you know what? I think you may have just convinced me that this is also my favorite. I was going to say this is two to Deadbeat, but I actually think Deadbeat's going to be three behind Proven Guilty. I think I would go 11, 8, 7 in terms of my top three so far. Not Small Favor. Interesting. Not, I mean, I, the Small Favor was awesome that's probably four uh yeah <laughs> but in, i mean it's uh yeah proving guilty with charity was just that hit me so hard i loved it i loved it yeah so that's i that still i'm still thinking every time i think back to proving guilty i'm imagining the arctic tour i'm imagining uh charity on the stairs and she's hearing molly screaming and she's crying and she's going i'm coming baby i'm coming you know that's like mm -hmm. that's just stop ah, that is that i can't stop thinking about that scene it's so great so um yeah, um, I'm ready for the final draft. Let's do it. Shall I kick us off? Go for it. <laughs> uh, I made brief allusion to this earlier. Um, this here is a raspberry lemonade craft beer. I should say a craft beer with lemonade here. Um, this is one I drank actually a few days ago because I realized I wasn't going to be recording this episode until after like November. And I just wanted to stop like I wanted November to be another sober month. That's what I've started. Mm. So I drank this beer a few days ago. However, mm. I chose it specifically for this episode. This goes out to my man, Morgan. Um, <laughs> this here is called Juice Box. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it's got a picture of a juice box right on the front there. <laughs> very nice. And I was very, very... Uh, Subtly earlier, making a joke when I was a uh, self-aware joke when I was talking about Morgan having a juice box perhaps filled with beer. Now, as far as the beer itself, it was nice. I feel like it was a little too much juicy, a little too too far on the uh, on the raspberry lemonade side of things. It kind of just felt like a raspberry lemonade that had beer added. When I think I would have preferred beer with just a uh, hint of raspberry lemonade, but it was still nice. I'm probably not going to buy it again, but I can see others you know liking it. It's still recommended. It's a nice, refreshing one. Mm -hmm. So, juice box. Very good. I forget the yeah. brewery. Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm doing a barrel-aged imperial stout from Weldworks Brewing Company. Uh, Weldworks, I believe yeah, nice. I have brought the batch one of this onto an episode in the past. I want to say it was Shorefall, uh, but I, I'm not 100% certain of that. Uh, this is a, a brooding collaboration with Voodoo, which I believe is in Pennsylvania, I want to say. I should probably look that up. But uh, it is very barrel-driven. Uh, this one is a um, bourbon barrel and apple brandy barrel aged stout. Very strong, delicious. Um, the kind of thing that I only drank half of it, and I'm saving the other half for my wife when she gets home from work. <laughs> uh, You're a great husband, man. Yeah, um... But this one, this one goes out to Harry and the Sanctum Invocation at Demon's Reach, which he oh. he has to do during the Witching Hour. Ooh! And this uh, this beer is called Midnight Magic Season of the Witch. Oh, very nice, very nice. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and I believe I did uh, Midnight Magic, the first Min- Midnight Magic for Shortfall. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was good. It was really good. Yeah. Very solid beer. Noise. Noise. So this has been. Oh. Oh, let me pull up. One forty-three. Yeah. One forty-three. Spreadsheet. We're <laughs> we're closing in on three years worth of episodes now. Yeah. We in fact uh, just just last week was the three year anniversary of when we recorded our very first episode. Yep. And I turned thirty. And Rob yes, turned thirty. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. So Let's... wish Rob a happy birthday on our Facebook yeah, page or, or Discord <laughs> or. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, I remember my our first episode was my twenty seventh birthday, and mm-hmm. that, I've just last week turned thirty. That's how long we've been doing this, and I feel like I'm gonna be listening to this at some point later and being going, "Oh, you young guy, you, yeah, why are you complaining?" Yeah. So next up, uh, we are gonna have a special midweek episode uh, for the release of Cytonic, the third uh, Brandon Sanderson Skyward book. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for that one. Stoked for more Sanderson. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's been a little while since we've we've done anything for good reason. We did a lot of Sanderson last year. <laughs> needed Too much, to maybe needed to to recharge those batteries. Um, uh, but yeah, as as Rob mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to support us, check us out on Patreon or on Coffee. We got all kinds of fun benefits, uh, including now access to a special part of our Discord server. Uh, where you can get exclusive access to some of our awesome artwork by Fell Candy. But as always, yeah. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>